0: Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode i like i came out of it being like what a peculiar film like (laughs) i've broken craig somehow here oh i don't know i just
1: that's like the most nan thing i've heard about like what i've just been talking about as a really horrific it's like what a peculiar film
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh well that wasn't very nice to say that wasn't a very nice man all right mr demille i'm ready for my close-up are you not entertained i I
2: Call
3: me Mr. Tips.
0: Oh
2: hi, Mark. Well, good
0: movies. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. I'm your host David Oscar, and I'm joined by someone who often looks at me from a rear window. Claiming to look at the birds despite having vertigo, our very own psycho, Craig Macdonald. Hello, Craig. That might actually
1: be the best introduction you've ever given me, and for that, I'm I'm genuinely appreciative.
0: Oh, that's good. I've I've done something right for once. <laughs> I mean, you said it, not me. Like, well, I'm glad I managed to fit as many uh, references in there as I could. Uh, challenge anyone else who can do more. <laughs>
1: I'm surprised you didn't you didn't bring in North by Northwest, considering that this is the first time in a while that that every guest is physically with you and i'm not so this could literally be the north by northwest in terms of relationship
0: true i did i did consider you like looking north by northwest but i was like nah, that's, that's a bit much just keep it to the one word titles but okay yeah, fair enough we're in a very unique situation today we feel like we're interviewing craig which is always fun <laughs> but uh craig last time we were uh Giving everyone an update on the movie vault, but we were also uh, having a catch up on some of the films we've been watching recently. Uh, I was talking about how I enjoyed Chippendale Rescue Rangers, so I know you've watched it since, Craig, and now I, n- I just need to ask your opinion because I haven't talked to you about it since.
1: <laughs> I feel you overhyped that film for me. Um, uh, <laughs> <damn it. laughs> yeah, nice try. So, okay, so it was enjoyable enough, I think. I think a few things. One, and I was sort of taken out of it quite a lot by the fact that Andy Sandberg is just Andy Sandberg. And as much as I like the guy, he needs to learn to not always be Andy Sandberg. Yeah. Also, I found it hilariously hypocritical for a film that was, you know, showing the distinction between 2D and 3D anim- uh, animation to have basically all of their 2D as 3D mm. renders. And they yeah. look... Awful. What I will give you, however, is a couple of things I thought was genius. One, I love Will Arnett, so his casting as as like Pete, making everyone think, oh, it's obviously gonna be the villain, uh, you know, who obviously clashes with like Mickey and Goofy in a lot of the cartoons. Nope. It is just an incredibly middle-aged, fattening over Peter Pan voiced by Will Arnett. I thought that was a genius touch. Uh, and also you prepared me quite well for the uh uh, for the ugly character that they use who you're right absolutely classic and we can finally discuss ugly sonic
0: yes <laughs> i i do agree with you i don't i might have overhyped it in the sense i was like i don't think this is a perfect film um i definitely have my problems with it but i was just so impressed by some of the stuff they was they were able to do and that was one of them i was just like wow you know touche touche perfect yeah.
1: also I never thought I would see a Disney film with Randy Marsh as a background character.
0: Yeah, that's what I was so impressed by. There was just so many weird cameos in that film. So many random animated characters and some real kind of like deep dives into like random animation. So yeah, that that was a shock. And um, apparently the ugly Sonic, and I'm glad it panned out this way, apparently they were originally going to have Jar Jar Binks. And I was like... So I know one of the other guests with us today would agree. I think it was best not done that way. I I, I think yeah. ugly Sonic was a much better choice.
1: Yeah, especially considering you know that they would probably still give Jar Jar a relatively normal voice.
0: Um mm, true. you
1: know, trying to create this, oh, I was just doing a character, people didn't didn't like my weird Rastafarian take of an alien. Whereas all, Ugly Sonic, they just ran with it. Like He's a member of the CIA. That's incredible.
0: The fact that there would be Sonic out there and Ugly Sonic. Like, Jar Jar oh, yeah. would just be Jar Jar. <laughs> and also just
1: the fact that Disney you know, technically got rights to that character. Uh, yeah, so, so strange. Just <laughs> as a character, as opposed to, you know, how they've gotten, like, Sonic for like wreck it ralph etc
0: well very different uh, discussion to what we'll be having for the rest of uh, this episode but uh yeah craig as we alluded to there at the beginning uh, we talked about movies well worth watching despite duds along the way so just to tease the audience at home do you think today's movie is a dead or well worth watching
1: i think this film has aged like fine shit
0: okay (laughs) we'll get to uh why craig might think that soon (laughs) but for anyone who didn't catch our previous episode craig can you just recap us on what we're watching and how we came to choose this film
1: sure so in our last episode which weirdly feels like such a long time ago thanks to that little break we ended up discussing the Hammer Horror, I can't really call it a classic because I'd never heard of it until it was suggested, of Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, a film that I originally thought was about nuns. Uh, but because of that, I create, uh, I was able to create the end game, Time to Make a Change, which was all about um, films that are adapted from books or plays uh, in which our guest, Mary, uh, was able to be victorious and wanting to give us another film that looks at uh, certain gender politics, um... In a, frankly, quite concerning sense, she gave us uh, Alfred Hitchcock's uh, penultimate film, Frenzy.
0: But also a favourite of Mary's, so we'll have to be careful treading with this one, Craig, as we did with uh, Jekyll and Sister Hyde. I'm always
1: careful treading, because I don't want to step in shit.
0: (laughs) Well, we look forward to discussing Frenzy from 1972 and undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into the movie Vault, our vault of movies that celebrates chosen films for all time. But luckily, we are not alone today in talking about this film. Uh, we're thrilled to be joined by two of our previous guests uh, who are here with us today, as we mentioned, in person. So first of all, we've got our resident historian and nerd. Hello, Di Hill. Hello. How have you been? How's uh, how's the weather cheering up your day now it's getting sunnier since the since the winter blues of when we talked about boxing day films
2: it's it's very nice the world is all getting back to normal mm. we just spent a sunny sort of couple of hours out and outside in a pub which is lovely yeah ah oh, it's like the whole world is getting better again i
0: know flashback to when we were doing you know remote end game specials and we couldn't leave the house we all had to be in separate rooms it's uh, quite a different time
2: and then i watched that bleak London murders everyone movie <laughs> yeah. just sort of you know
0: just to celebrate the kind of cheery time we're in at the moment so um Di, uh, last time you were on you were discussing some of the projects you were involved in uh with the museum so how how have those been going how was everything that you've been working on sort of tied up so
2: very good the uh, the museum of Cardiff where we work is all fully back open as normal now we've got all of our um regular features and things all going. Seven days a week. It's very, very pleasing to see, like, you know, people coming to the doors and getting back to normal and enjoying things, you know. It's fantastic. And the, uh, we mentioned before, big film project we did with um, a group called Cardiff People First, who are an advocacy um, organisation for people with learning disabilities. We created a series of films by with them. So if you look up Cardiff People First on YouTube, you can see um, a series of heritage documentaries created by volunteers from the organisation. And they turned out really, really nicely and uh yeah we're very very pleased
0: we're always happy to hear about projects going well and sort of uh picking back up where we've previously discussed them uh obviously i suppose the museum is even more relevant now that we've got jurassic world dominion coming out some people enjoying some uh, fossils and dinosaur bones there even when we were at the pub there was a kid playing with dinosaur toys when we were we were discussing jurassic world earlier and it was just strange to be talking about dinosaurs and then there's like the target audience was like right behind us which is always fun <laughs> Also joining us is a previous guest who has not been on for quite a time talking about a movie, let alone a normal movie, which is not a comic book one. So we are very happy to welcome back podcaster and film fan Jake Hart. Hello, Jake.
3: Hello, hello. Happy to be back and happy to be talking other something other than superheroes for once. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. You have many different shades and sides to Jake Hart. We are going to see those today. <laughs> and uh, talking about that, Jake... I think the last time we had a proper film discussion was obviously before the Snyder Cut. But ever since then, you know, I dubbed it like the Year of Jake. There was so much material out there was aimed at you. I know even things like Eternals, you were like, oh, this is maybe my jam. Maybe that didn't work out so much. But in terms of like projects you were excited for, you had Matrix, you had the Snyder Cut, as we were talking about with Justice League, and the big one, which was Dune, which I know a lot of our guests have discussed when they've come on. Dai mentioned it when he was talking about things that he recently watched. I know Kletchi mentioned it, but you were like the biggest Dune fan I know. So please tell us all about, you know, how much fun you've had at the cinema the past sort of year or so.
3: Yeah. Um, I felt as if Hollywood was like, you know, Jake's had a rough year during this pandemic. <laughs> Let's give him all the stuff that he likes. Uh, so yeah, I mean, with the Matrix, like Matrix being one of my one of my all-time favorite films, just to see uh, coming back to that franchise. And I know it's controversial, but I actually really enjoyed it and what uh, uh, Lana Wachowski did with that. Um, it's this year, but, you know, the Batman also came out, and that's my favorite superhero of all time. I love what Matt Reeves did with that. Um, Eternals, you know I, you know me, I'm a big fan of gods and mytho- uh, mythology and all that sort of stuff. So Marvel going into that ter- ter- territory. Territory. Might not have worked out, but I did like some things, and I like Marvel trying to go for those bold, ambitious films more.
0: Shang-Chi as well. Shang-Chi
3: as well. well. I'm a big martial arts Bruce Lee fan, so yeah, they're taking all the boxes for me. But yeah, Dune was the big one. Um, a book I've loved since I was a teenager. I think I read it first in high school, and I always felt very much like alone in the Dune fandom. I don't know many people who've read the book or into the you know the the series or watch the older films they know very little people so it's really fun now to see everyone getting on the Dune train what with the recent uh, Denis Villeneuve 2021 film and yeah it's good to see people being introduced to Dune and then going oh wow this is actually so good it's complex it's uh, political intrigue it has amazing characters it has this huge lore and world And I think you know that's what Hollywood needs. It needs new big sci-fi franchises, and not just relying on the superheroes these days. So, uh, and considering it was also one of those controversial, you know, HBO Max on Cinema Day and Date release, it shows that the audience is wanting these new franchises because even with that, uh, nearly half, um, nearly half a billion dollars. So, bring on part two and see where the franchise goes after that. But yeah,
0: what what else are you looking forward to in the year? I know, obviously, mainly. There's one current project which is on at the moment, which you are enjoying. Uh, but I guess even stuff coming up in the year is still mainly TV-orientated, I guess.
3: I would say so. I mean, f- for me, the biggest films that I was most anticipating this year have already come out. So like The Batman, uh, The Northman. Um, recently, I wasn't really much anticipating it, but I watched everything everywhere all at once. Absolutely loved it. If anyone who hasn't seen it, go see this film. It's incredible. Um, so yeah, it's mainly TV now, but it's the Rings of Power is the big one for me. Um, huge, very much like Dune, uh, read Lord of the Rings when I was a teenager, shortly after the films, the Peter Jackson films came out, fell in love with Tolkien's world and cautiously optimistic with what Amazon are going to do with this. Everything that's come out, I've enjoyed what they've shown so far. And you know, the showrunners and the writers coming out and, mostly saying all the right things. A couple of things I'm a bit like, hmm, question marks about. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. I I hope very much like Dune was last year, I hope this also brings people back to Tolkien and into the world of Middle-earth. You know, because we need a big uh, fantasy franchise as well now. Now that Game of Thrones has obviously passed and that (laughs) sort of ended on a sour note. Uh, And I hope this can bring back the fantasy genre to people. Uh, But it's very, also I want to make, it's not game of thrones like it's not going to be r-rated and raunchy and graphic violence it's going to be Tolkien. that's what the showrunners say anyway Uh, and i think we need that sort of family friendly fantasy
0: yeah and definitely considering the house of the dragon is coming out which i uh, the only thing i'm excited about is like cool maybe some cool dragon visuals action but i just think matt smith looks so dumb in that that's, wig.
3: that's all i can think of is matt Smith in the blonde wig and i'm like
0: I'm i don't know if you've <laughs> seen it die, but especially from his doctor who days i'm like matt smith doesn't suit like you know platinum blonde he just looks ridiculous what's he,
3: what's he doing because he's been in morbius as well like, yeah. he's not picking no. great projects recently
1: yeah the hollywood run for matt smith has been
0: nothing but a mitigated disaster We'll get on now to our main discussion which is uh, discussing uh, this week's film which is Frenzy from 1972 as we mentioned earlier which was suggested by our previous guest Mary. So Frenzy is uh, an Alfred Hitchcock film made later in his uh, career. Uh, it's also written uh, the so credits go to Arthur Laburn who was the writer of the original novel. And then you've got Anthony Schaefer, who's also credited. Uh, it stars John Finch, Barry Foster, Barbara Lee Hunt, and Anna Maisie. You've also got quite a slew of, like, well-known, uh, respected British uh, alumni in say this, the and, name david <laughs> you got bernard cribbins there in it
2: is <laughs> the only person who matters
0: <laughs> well you've also got clive swift as we mentioned earlier and uh you've also got billy uh white law and michael bates which i think was the one earlier i mentioned uh Dye, who was in last of the summer wine so we had to get one of those in there uh, you've also got gerald sim who was also in dr jekyll and sister hyde so uh, which was interesting so i was like where do i know this guy from and i swear i've seen this man in something else bar these two films he has such a recognizable face but according to imdb there's nothing else i've seen which he is in but yeah this film is described as a serial murderer is strangling women with a necktie Several neckties, I would say. Uh, The London police have a suspect, but he is the wrong man. This is an Alfred Hitchcock film, uh, probably made outside of the era in which he was most famous when he was making sort of black and white films or things like North by Northwest, Rear Window, as we were sort of discussing earlier. So the first thing I would want to ask you guys is what is your experiences with Hitchcock? What do you think of when you think of the man? And are you, you know, a big fan of his films? die
2: um well i've seen the angry birds movie um and the original, i played the phone the original, game yeah. yeah that's very good um no i've not seen seen a handful of hitchcock movies really and they're all generally quite good i've never ended up becoming like i suppose i've never discovered him in that era of becoming like a diehard fan um so he's just seems to be quite good like odd little fat man who wanders <laughs> in the back of his own movies and it's as much as about i know really
0: it's quite interesting, I think, for especially I suppose why Mary might have suggested it in the sense of maybe it was a film that she studied. But I think for like people who've studied film, it's always that kind of like, right, module one film theory, Hitchcock. Or it's always, you know, if it's not, you know, George Melee or Soviet era films or something, Hitchcock is there somewhere. Um, so it's always a part of your bread and butter um craig i know you saw did like essays on hitchcock as well and you know my big dvd box that came in handy for both of us when we were looking through his filmography
1: yeah i did ha- um i did an entire module on hitchcock um so i ended up having to write an essay specifically talking about the use of uh i can i can remember it now give me a second the use of animals to display uh, humanity's hidden animalistic nature within the within Hitchcock films is what I wrote an essay on. It was not well received.
0: <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> interesting. Um, but yeah, I think it is very much. It it kind of gives you. A lot of people the saw playbook of, you know, how to be a director in some sense, how to get there, you know, this is who I am. This is a Hitchcock film, you know, similar to then, this is a Tarantino film. And, you know, th- it then later influenced that kind of idea of like Spielberg and these kind of recognizable uh, characters, if you will, that, you know, as when we entered this room, I've got Hitchcock Funko Pop, but it's because he has such a recognizable look to him. He ha- he appeared in like a television series. He was a big part of the advertising for his own movies, um, which I think you somewhat get with then Steven Spielberg, Quentin Tarantino, Gilmero del Toro to an extent possibly. And I would say that you possibly had that before Hitchcock or around the same time as well with people like Charlie Chaplin. But I think the Hitchcock was still, because he was behind the camera, he was the first sort of major like, big director and people would go there because it was a hitchcock picture um whereas i suppose somebody like charlie chaplin was because he was appearing in the film as well and i guess he saw like was more of that silent era where hitchcock was there for a lot of the early glory days of hollywood and so sort of transitioned into color film and went from silent to talkies and all of that kind of stuff so
1: he's also really notable because the um There's that cultural theory that which is that you know that you've made it when people can recognize who you are purely by your silhouette. And I'm pretty sure he's the only director in all of script creation that you can just recognize him from a silhouette because he literally because he literally made it part of like various aspects, right?
0: Yeah, I think if like Spielberg is wearing a cap, he might get recognizable. I would no.
3: argue George Lucas. Like
0: <laughs> I could spot that George. <laughs> Maybe if he's in the background of somewhere, like, you know, somebody interviewing somebody and he happens to look at the camera during it. <laughs> but uh Oh, uh, yeah, I no.
1: literally mean the blacked-out silhouette, like it's yeah. just yeah, his outline.
0: No, I agree. And that's that's how he came into the TV shows as well, wasn't he? he so sort of walked into that kind of outline and stuff like that. And he's probably one of the filmmakers which has had the most media made about him. Like there was the film, uh was that just called Hitchcock that came out a few years ago with uh Anthony Hopkins, etc. Mm. So, you know, and there's been quite a few sort of different like tellings of, you know, his story and you know, what he was like to work with se- on set and, you know, what he was like as a director. Jake, what what's your experience with Hitchcock films? You know, I know that within the past year or two, especially with the pandemic, you've used it as a time to kind of like look back at some of the big famous Hollywood films. Did you know, would, had you sort of experienced it much before that? Or was it been more when you've been trying to look at these sort of classics, etc? Uh, neither. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it might be sacrilegious to say coming on a film podcast,
3: but um, I've only seen... Th- with now frenzy only three hitchcock films so yeah.
0: so we're a part of that uh you know yeah you it's, going through
3: it. it's one it's funny because i'm very aware of who alfred hitchcock is the films he's made um i th- and i think i know more about the man than the actual films he's made if you know what i mean um from hearing stories or reading articles of how he was as a director how he treated actors and all these sorts of things um, but it was particularly when I was in uni and I did a course on sound design, um, Hitchcock's name came up because he's known as a master of sound and his use of sound effects. And it was particularly looking at Psycho and the birds and how he uses sound effects there. Which okay, you are forgiven. The, yeah, <laughs> uh, which we studied and focused on. And, I, and you know, I was, oh, yeah, this guy really knows how to use sound for emotional effects. that Not many directors do. Even to this day, like it's very much. I uh, just put it in at the end, sort of thing. But he's using it for narrative and emotional effect, which is fascinating. So it's weird that I never followed up and just watched the the rest. Because then, watching this film, Frenzy, I was like, he's done it again. There's some awesome, awesome sound effect work here. Um, which now I'm like, I want to check out more Hitchcock films.
0: Yeah, I think it's because it's not kind of like other filmmakers in the sense of, you know, they are those big names. There's Psycho, there's Rear Window, North by Northwest but then because then he has such a big catalog and it kind of the the, the hits if you will or the more recognizable ones weren't didn't come as, as much later on you know I was speaking to our previous guest uh, Niall, about it earlier you know that there was some films like Topaz and Family Plot and everything which some of them were just kind of like boring or just you know very mundane so i think because those early days had a lot more of those recognizable films some people just feel that then like okay well i've seen the famous ones And sometimes it is kind of like you watch them like, okay, I know what to expect. I know a Hitchcock film when I see it now. First of all, I think to me, you know, I think about Psycho and I think of that classic opening with the music as you said with like the text and everything like that like that was a big part of Hollywood at that time as well was the opening credits and I feel the Hitchcock was a massive part of that as well in the way the Psycho opens with that kind of like you know those strings and the way that the typography and everything is used Vertigo uses it really well as well so I think that he was a part of a lot of like classic aspects that become films you know peter jackson he has cameos in his films just like hitchcock will have cameos in his films you have a lot of stuff we did things like with like going into the eyes and the eyes being in the window to the soul he sort of introduced a lot of that he introduced a lot of suspense so there's a lot of tropes and stuff that you see from hitchcock are there any ones that stand out to you guys that you kind of were like yeah without that you know you would you know without these films you kind of feel that each time similar to Psycho, I suppose, you know, the whole, like, I'll never get in a shower without locking the door kind of aspect. It's one of those things where I get the
2: impression a lot of the simple things, that seem really simple now, like in this movie, you know, a lot of the kind of longer shots he uses and things, they're kind of quite revolutionary for the time. But then when you're coming back to it as like a modern person, if you're not aware of that film history, like, yeah, I've seen that a million times now. But Mm -hmm. um, there's a number of scenes, particularly in this movie as we get into it, which feel, for the time probably quite groundbreaking. Um, but for people going back and watching it, you're like, yeah, I've seen I've seen EastEnders, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bloody London Cockneys <laughs> wandering around, you know. But yeah, I get the impression that's kind of the overwhelming thing with Hitchcock is the innovations that he put in that are now like really standard bits of cinema making nowadays.
1: But also, um, I think this is uh, worth pointing out that one of Hitchcock's sort of um, main experiments as well that people don't really talk about because something like Birdman uh, tried to do basically better with with you know more recent technology in order to pull it off was that he was one of the first people to try a film in like which is just one continuous take so one of his uh film uh one of his films rope which is basically just a stage play just filmed he, he basically wanted to do it in one take but because they didn't have um like film canisters large enough at that point it's just a really awkward they'll just pick a really dark surface and just out of nowhere just zoom into it it'll be a thing like a chest or a table they just zooms into this and in a couple of seconds zooms out and it's still that scene you just know it's just okay they're clearly changing over the film canister now um so that's always been iconic for me to remember
0: I'll also, you know, re- refer to uh, Mary in this circumstance because she actually wrote uh, an article which was nice, nicely timed as well uh, because Frenzy uh, is celebrating its sort of anniversary and being 50 years old and the name of the article is Misogyny, Murder and Morbid Curiosity. Um, and in her article, which is over on Jump Cut Online, which I encourage you to go check out, uh, she talks about, you know, maybe the wants and desires of Hitchcock and how that is coming through. And she says that, Uh, Yes, you can absolutely argue that this film does not achieve anything near the cinematic mastery of Psycho Vertigo, uh, but it arguably gives a more tangible insight into the thoughts and desires of one of the most lauded directors of all time, while Frenzy might not even make the top 10 of Hitchcock's best, and it may well seem dated and cheesy to first-time viewers, now it absolutely de- delivers in terms of shock and tension factor. It's a film that is, at several points and for a myriad of reasons, going to make you feel extremely uncomfortable. It may even raise a few questions about Hitch and his own certain peculiarities. Uh, which is definitely true, and I think she has sort of nailed, you know, how people might react to it and might what might be the sort of, like, background or subtext to this film is anything else you guys want to sort of mention in terms of the time period that this was made jake i know you sort of looked into a bit about how interesting it was the circumstances around this film in terms of how much they could do in terms of what you could see on screen and how filmmaking was changing in in that sense what what do you think about all of that and what was some of the stuff you, you found out
3: yeah, well, it was um, so it was an interesting time going from, like, the 60s to the 70s because, like, the way they rated movies completely changed uh, and that this new system came in where you could have, like, you know, U's and PG's and PG-13s and all this sort of stuff. And then it was really the first time filmmakers could start doing R-rated projects, you know, purely adult films, but not adult films as, as the other type of stuff you might think. Um So it was a really interesting time for directors and obviously someone like Hitchcock, who, again, I haven't watched many of his films, but everything I've learned about him, he always wanted to push that envelope of shock horror on what he could show on film, really pushing the boundaries at times, sometimes stepping over the line at times, and which got him in trouble. Um, So I can imagine when these new sort of restrictions were lifted in a way, he was like, right, let me try and let me go all out. And I think it shows maybe some negativity like you know it's not all worked out i think there's some problematic areas of this film but i appreciate him going for it um and i think it's very much what hitchcock wanted to make uh, so it's it's an, an tour film in a way
0: i think it's interesting as well just filmmaking aspect is like how much you see change as in terms of like how you can see hitchcock go from silent films in terms of like his early days with short films etc to then black and white transition into colour and I almost find that something like North by Northwest or Rear Window even though they're obviously visually fantastic there seems to be something different about like Frenzy and those type of films in which it seems to be changing the the technical aspects in terms of like the the vibrancy of the colours you're getting the sort of like aspect ratios um And the fact that I suppose he is filming in Britain as well, the fact that they were British actors felt very strange to me because you are used to him working with, you know, American talent. And the fact that this film was shot largely in London, which you don't often get, you know, films are set in London, but not so much shot in London, which I thought was interesting. So it was was interesting to see that kind of like Hollywood approach almost to it, but still staying quite traditionally rooted in, you know, British values etc by having like you know british actors showing pubs and all of that kind of stuff but yeah i think that this showed quite as you know you can see that transition of history and how it sort of changed through hitchcock's filmography and yeah i think the 70s quite a weird sort of you know like time period for having lots of experimental different type of films
3: decade of the psychos it was because it was when all the anti-heroes and Mm. more focus on like villainous characters was becoming more popular so yeah
0: yeah exactly we were mentioning earlier that you know back in the boxing day episode we were saying about zulu and stuff like that you know it's like oh they're all british chaps and stuff like that there's a few british chaps in this film but more like the cockneys and stuff like that but when you think of the 70s do you think of like a film like this or you know is there other ones that
2: come to mind well i mean what this film does in particular is it really brings that era to life. From that yeah. almost like a social history aspect, it's it's almost a win a, and a love letter really to that era. Um, the way it brings together that fruit market, where she apparently grew up around all fruit markets and stuff, and you can see that it's he's put so much detail into how everyone is moving around and the amount of people in every single scene there's about 10 or 11 a dozen or so actors milling around picking up bags moving things Mm. and like there's a number of scenes in pubs and they're just rammed full of people who are all chatting about different things and knowing each other and um, and then when it moves into people's kind of more private lives and, you know, we'll talk later with, you know, the inspector and his wife and stuff. It's so much of that era with the wife kind of suddenly starting to discover foreign food and stuff and the and the, the reaction these kind of old, you know, London blokes have to it and everything. Um, so, yeah, if you want to see that kind of snapshot of a really real kind of working class view of, of London in the 70s, you won't get any better than this film, really. Definitely. Yeah.
0: And yeah, we've had a lot of different experiences with going into that era, as we said, with Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Now this, you know, things like, even though it was, you know, earlier, but then Italian job, like you said, Jake, there was that that different mix of more like anti-heroes. You got a lot more like the resurgence of horror and stuff like that. So a lot of darker kind of stuff, which kind of suits Hitchcock, I guess.
1: All right, rewind those cassettes and play them again because it's VHS Corner. So, this week, we've, we've tasked Jake with telling us a little bit about this film. So, what have you got for us, Jake?
3: Alright, so yeah, uh, looking up on this film, I found some interesting facts on the beginnings, the during and the after. Uh, so, Frenzy, as was mentioned earlier, was adapted from Arthur LeBurn's novel, Goodbye, Piccadilly, Farewell, Leicester Square, which was published in 1966 and is believed that Hitchcock read it during the autumn 1970 while looking for a new project after the the disappointment of Topaz. And apparently he later told Rebecca journalists, the book was sent to me by the publisher. I was attracted by the market and by the central figure, an Air Force man who is always a loser. Today is the day of non-hero, isn't it? Alluding to what we said earlier. Um, Another fact, which I found really interesting as well, is that um, originally Henry Mancini was originally composed to score the film. However, in December 1971, Hitchcock attended the final recording sessions and outright rejected the score uh, due to it sounding too similar to Bernard Herrmann, who he'd worked previously in his other films. And apparently he said, look, if I want Herrmann, I'd ask for Herrmann. So he sacked him. And then after rejecting that score, he hired British composer Ron Goodwin to provide him with the new score and was done very quickly between December and the release of this film. British uh, legendary actor Michael Caine was originally the first pick for the role of the serial killer in this film. But uh, he refused the part, apparently. Didn't want to be associated with that role, uh, which is interesting to see in the later films he did in his life. Uh, but then it was eventually given to Barry Foster, which was awesome. And then according to cinematographer Gilbert Taylor, Finch, uh, John Finch, who played the lead, openly criticized the script's dialogue to journalists. Uh, which made Hitchcock so angry that he almost recast that role as well. Uh so a lot of controversy in the production of this film it seems and uh, by all accounts it seems Hitchcock acted very coolly towards John Finch during filming insisting that he stick to the character's written dialogue. Uh, apparently they even like did uh, different shots to like to not have Finch in the camera as much and stuff as a sort of like you know a bit of a spite there. So Interesting. And then uh, this is one that I love. I love this one. Like During the shoot in Convent Garden, apparently an old man came up to Hitchcock and said to him, I remember your father here in the market. And then Hitchcock's father was actually a very successful greengrocer back in the day, had a chain of stores. Uh, Hitchcock was very delighted with this, sat down with the old man. They had a long talk and then he treated him to a meal and sent him off on his way. Which I think that's really, really nice. So those are my five facts on this film
0: very Christopher Lee vibes from that last one of like, let me like sit you down and talk to you about history and important stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, awesome. Thank you for those, Jake. And yeah, that, that's really interesting to know that there was quite some behind the scenes drama because I think often, especially with something like a composer, you always just think of it as kind of like a breezy relationship with filmmakers. You think fair enough, if it's like a cinematographer, or a writer that they might come to blows in terms of like the direction, but you don't really think about that in terms of a composer. You think that they come in, do their job, they go. So it's interesting to think of somebody having that bigger problem of like, no, if I wanted that, I would have gone and got this guy. And yeah, no, I no, not I was quite surprised by the soundtrack the way it was as well, considering Hitchcock's previous films.
1: It, no, that's the thing. Once I heard that, I'm I'm now not surprised because the soundtrack was, did come off as one of the more sort of uninspired, I think. Because uh, obviously you have very notable soundtracks with both Psycho and North by Northwest. Um, whereas this basically just sort of failed to really stand out. Um, this this film is not one that you watch for the music. So the fact that he had difficulty finding somebody who was actually happy working with. Yeah, that, that makes total sense after watching this film.
0: And they would be a rush job as well, so if they had to quickly get get something out, um, yeah. So that that one makes sense. Anything else that stood out to people?
3: Well, back on the music thing, I also think I agree with you guys. It doesn't stand out the score throughout the film. However, I do think because we mentioned like the intro and with the opening credits and stuff like that, I do think it's interesting the music that they're using there. Because when I first watched this film, press play, and this comes on, I'm like okay, this is very, not what I expected going into a Hitchcock film. But then thinking about it, and then I did rewatch that opening scene. I think it is cleverly used because it's not what you're expecting for a Hitchcock film. But then as the camera's going, you know, through the River Thames and you see the Tower Bridge and all that, you start to see the grimier elements of London and the water starting to get, it goes from blue to like a muddy brown. And it's very contrasting with this music. So it's like, we're back in London, you know? this is the dark side of London. So I think it works in that regard. But yeah, other than that, the music didn't stand out.
0: I guess it kind of leads you down a false path as well of being like, you see it and you're like, oh, right, okay, cheery British time or some like big, you know, historic, especially the fact that the scene straight after that is then these people, they on the River Thames talking about how they're going to clean up the river. And then a woman just floats up on the shore. exactly. So I think that that's where it kind of really, yeah, leads you astray in like, oh, maybe this isn't this kind of like dark, CD film, and I think that that kind of like speaks to the kind of like levels that I guess Mary was talking about in her article as well. Is that you know on the surface level, it's like oh, isn't it British and jolly and everything's great, but it's just like but these people have these like dark, horrible desires, and you know that they kind of happen behind closed doors, which are the moments and scenes in the film you know suggest. So uh, let's get then to our opinions on the film as we uh, discuss whether it deserves a place in our movie vault. So, Di, what did you think overall of Frenzy?
2: I I mean, I didn't. It was
0: it was successfully. Yeah,
2: I feel sacrilegious almost saying like I felt the plot was contrived and shallow frankly, um, I thought that a number of the scenes were successfully incredibly shocking and um, really tense. And so there were these moments and and really humorous at times as well. Um, the performances were all great. But really, it was the script. Because if anyone's listening and doesn't know, the plot is that there's this necktie killer who's explained amazingly in the opening scene by all of the extras who see this, bod- whoop, this body floating in the river and they all just explain the plot of the movie immediately. They all just go, oh, by the way, that looks like the necktie killer. I hear he kills people with neckties. Yes, no one's caught him yet, though. Oh, Oh, no, die,
1: die. To add to that, my favourite one is the the extra and trigger warning. I I should do the quotation marks, but then the people at home can't see me doing the quotation marks, but actual trinical it's just the one woman who just goes out of nowhere he rapes him first doesn't he like, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. what the hell yeah
1: <laughs> why are I you think... so upbeat about this oh <laughs> I, I we I... haven't a good we haven't had a good serial killer for a while have we i uh,
0: yeah i don't want to again sort of tee up thoughts later on but that does seem to be a weird theme that happens quite a few times within this film i'm like this is talked about quite candidly i'm not sure how i feel about it but Yeah, I do have to mention actually, I don't know if you saw the trailer for this film, but because again it brings in that kind of like Hitchcock being part of the film aspect so heavily in which literally the trailer starts and you're just watching the Thames and then just Hitchcock is there just like on his back on the Thames and he's like hello you might be wondering why I'm floating here on the Thames well this is actually how a body was found in my latest film which is based off true events (laughs) so I just love how that becomes like the narrative of the film that he's like oh I'm I'm becoming a part of the film and obviously he has his cameo at the beginning of this film as soon as i saw it i was like oh there he is you know like as you do jake quite often the leonardo dicaprio point in moment and yeah i just uh, imagine that now imagine like christopher nolan being there like well, imagine if i was going backwards in time <laughs> that is the latest plot point of my new film which you can see in all imax cinemas there. oh
1: no he would just actually explain the prop uh, plot fine they would just actually film it uh, film it backwards so when it's actually played you have you then have to play it backwards to actually know what's going on.
0: Yeah, there would definitely be some uh, some funny instances where Quentin Tarantino would be like, "Sit your butt down and watch my film, okay?"
1: <laughs> okay, I think we're actually skirting around too much around like the awfulness that you were saying. Sorry, before we completely took over.
2: Oh yeah, so the well, the plot of the movie is that yeah, there's this necktie killer. The lead character though is kind of boring. I feel as though there's a meant to be a plot there for him. But then it rescues, he used to be a RAF officer and then he's finished with that and he can't kind of fit in in normal life, which is a real thing that happens to people, but they don't really delve into why or anything like that. And basically he gets accused of these necktie murders because he just happens to be nearby at the time, basically. Uh, and a series of really just pointless coincidences. Like, you know, because ex- it's his ex-wife. She puts some money in his per- in his pocket, which happens to have like her scent on it or something. And uh, he just happens to like walk in the office just after the murder happened. And so everyone blames him. But yeah, then none of them... So the whole plot is his some trying to avoid being caught by the police and all that sort of stuff, which... Is not based on anything to do with his character. He has no character arc, he has no motivation, he has no reason. And the reason for the actions happening to him have got nothing to do with anything to do with his character. It's just that he's in the wrong place at the wrong time and then gets arrested and goes to prison. And then at the ending, it's pretty disappointing, really. He just breaks out and they just walk into a room and see the necktie killer in there and they're like, gotcha. And that's the end of the movie, basically. Yeah,
0: yeah. At the ending I was not a fan of.
2: Yeah, you want there to be a confrontation. These two, him and the next eye killer, who like know each other. They're really good friends, and mm. you know they messed each other's lives up. And you think you want a real confrontation between these guys. You want them to really hash it out. And then that, mm. that. that. I, I agree with that, but I also
3: think it also would have been cool if they didn't bring in the actual murderer and left it on the cliffhanger of like he's the inspectors caught him. Yeah, yeah. I think that if if you didn't bring the actual murder in, if you left it on that ambiguous ending, I think that would have worked better.
2: Absolutely. Or if he just stayed in prison and not got, you know, um, or if I I kind of felt as though, particularly with this necktie killer, the idea that there's a really strong idea in there that with someone who is, you know, a, a murderer and stuff, that idea of how now that he's got someone leapt up for the crime that he's been doing he's gonna have to like change his mo sort of thing you know or stop killing people otherwise people will realize they got the wrong man so how does he cope with that that would be really fun to see like how does this guy who really i bloody love murdering oh now i don't bloody hell a victim of my own success i gotta stop murdering
1: i knew it was never gonna delve delve into that so the moment that he reported him to the police i was like well you're an absolute idiot pal you have literally <laughs> yeah, yeah. got rid of your your own alibi you in you have an incentive to make sure that he isn't caught for as long as possible so you can just keep on doing whatever you want
2: yeah that'll be a really fun movie if he's following what's his name um blamey um if he's like following him around on the run and committing murders and every step he goes that'd be really fun
1: yeah, I, I mean I agree with you. I think there's a lot of contrivances. I also just think there's an absolute lack of emotion, especially when we're talking about the women being murdered. The one that really the one that really annoyed me. The way that he was after he finds out that Babs has died it just showed the absolute lack of compassion that just wound just, just just made me think he had just had just had no character. He didn't give a damn about this woman that he was spent so much time trying to, like, you know, keep safe and uh, convinced wasn't the next eye killer. It was just the moment that Clive, uh, Clive Swift's character just goes, but the murder was committed at this time and you were here with us, which means you have an alibi. He's like, yes, yes, the alibi. Just, dude, be torn up.
2: Yeah, those female characters, they're more kind of plot points to drive blamey story along rather than, you know, people in their own right, really. The point that really struck me, though, with particularly with that character, when um, uh, Bernard Cribbins phones up the copper and he says like, oh, he's off right for my barmaid. Like, they have this whole conversation about like, oh, I've got information, he's off with my barmaid. And the police inspector's like, where's the barmaid tool now? She's coming back, we'll get the barmaid. And they have this whole conversation, and the police inspector never asks what her name is. <laughs> he just knows, as I don't know, the barmaid. It well, doesn't matter what her name is.
0: That's why I found weird, because, again, I don't know how they, this would work in actual crime or whether they do this in real life, but there is obviously the whole, have you seen this man? Like, I found it weird that they were like, the suspect is wearing, uh, you know, this very specific coat, and you should know him by this specific coat. And I'm like, but you've been told who he is. Why not ask The suspect is this man. If you see him or you know him, please report him to the police.
1: Also, identifying him by the basis of clothes, you know, because that thing that no one ever changes in their entire (laughs) life. Everyone is just a character in like a children's TV show where they have one outfit that they wear (laughs) from now until the rest of time. They'll even be buried.
0: Craig, Craig, what's your overall thoughts?
1: The film physically made me feel sick in a bad way. So, few things. One, I can no longer say the word "lovely" anymore. That that was just a horrific scene. Genu genuinely, I think if there's a, I think if there's a scene where he over, uh, where Hitchcock overstepped the mark insofar as what he was going for, it was definitely the, the the scene of the first murder. Second of all, I just the contrivances, especially with regards to you know, because uh, the other one that annoyed me was how Babs ends up being killed. If anyone cares about spoilers, then I'm, I'm sorry, this film is like 40, year old, uh, 40 years old at this point, and it's her own hang-up. Just the fact that she's already aware there is a necktie killer out there. At one point, she thought it could have been Blaney, and she was having to deal with the fact of, this is a man that I'd known and trusted, and he could have been a killer. How can I ever come to terms with that? Oh, he's not the killer. Oh, hello, other random man who was also close in my life, who's now inviting me into his into his apartment when I know there's a necktie killer out. Yes, of course I'll come with you, and we never see you again. Granted, you have the you have the foresight to like take his neck pin, and then we have to watch horrible scenes of your corpse having its fingers broken. Genuinely, I I I wanted to cry. Like this film put me through so much turmoil, and then the thing that really annoyed me was the co- and like the the coppers are bloody useless in this film. Just the That's fact definitely that
0: definitely a theme from the last film, Craig. yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, what is it with police in these films? Are just being like they seem to only question? Well, gee, maybe he's not the murderer after he's just been convicted. <laughs> Literally, the first moment he has after the guy goes in prison, he's like, "It's Rush," I'm telling you, it's Rush. It goes. Well, gee, maybe it is Rush. Maybe I should now look into that possibility. You damn idiot. And that, because that then leads to the contrived ending, right? That leads to the entire, like, the entire chase. Like, it would have been better if the police were just like, that's that. We got our guy. And then the murders are still, uh, the, like, the murders are still going on in the background. And it has to be Blaney confront, uh, confronting him. That would have been that would have been something instead of just the police. Oh no, also just the police's wife who's cooking like a load of fish heads out of nowhere. Those fish heads,
2: she's amazing, so good. I love her. Those are my
3: favorite scenes of the film. Like. Yeah, that's she's the best a, bit.
1: How on earth is she a terrible cook, but like some form of like clairvoyant when it comes to crime solving <laughs> that nobody seems to acknowledge until they've got the wrong guy.
2: Bloody I just want the hell. Whole movie to be the adventures of that guy's wife <laughs> and just ignore everything else. How she hears about every crime every day. He comes over, well,
0: what is it today, dear? And, and then, she like, kind of
2: solves them all by just guessing and says yeah. it's intuition. Can we not make this sitcom of them? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I will give the police
0: credit, and at least when the potato truck went past and there was like a dead body hanging out of it, they did go, that doesn't look right, and started <laughs> to pursue it. Somebody's oh, leg. <laughs> and I, yeah, and that did make me go, oh, like when it came out. I was like, Jesus, because at first I didn't think the sack was still on half of the body. So I was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, "Okay, thankfully, it's just the legs coming out of the sack because I didn't know if the body had just sort of mangled itself Mm -hmm. as it fell down. But yeah, I'm also just now thinking when we were saying about the disappointing ending and you said, Jake, you know, maybe it would have been better in this more ambiguous way of like ending with him being caught. But without uh, the other character being there, maybe if they really wanted to be revolutionary, then the guy could have looked at the officer and gone, I've always liked you, officer. <laughs> <laughs> and then just ended on there with that, ooh. You're oh my God. type of man. Well, yeah. <laughs>
1: also just, that secretary as well, does she really have selective memory? Because when she's first interviewed by the police, it's like, it couldn't have been anyone else. Couldn't have been anyone else. And then, then they go back, it's like, could you tell us about this man? Oh yes, he has lots of violence tendency and I wouldn't want anything to do with him. Really? Could you not think of if maybe if, you have a, if he has a history of consistently coming back to this dating agency, that maybe, maybe he could have had something to do with it? Maybe just, you know, just throw his name to the police. Come on! So it, that's why this film really annoyed me, right? Because a lot of these contrivances made the horrific, thing, the horrific things that we're put through feel more horrific because they're things that just are completely unavoidable. No, go completely avoidable even. So you could, because things where, you know, something couldn't happen, you can just go, well, that's awful, but there's nothing that could have been done about
2: it. Yeah, I think it's that. I think people talk about whether a film like earns its moments. I think those those really horrific, and then the potato truck scene, I mean, that's amazing. It's so well met and so horrific, but the characters are so sort of shallowly drawn that it just doesn't feel sort of worth it, kind of, it. it so it kind of feels more just kind of grotesque and horrible rather than really delving into any more deeper themes that would make it feel more like a tragedy or something rather than just a slightly, um you know, gory awfulness.
1: Yeah. The fact that the psychosis of the, main ga- of the main villain is explored by random people in the pub talking about, you know, the sycophants of sexual criminals is something I also feel like really, really uncomfortable with. I'm sort of over this idea that that crime is just this this black and white thing. I think if you want to explore the idea of 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 sexual perversion, actually explore it and look at somebody's psyche. Don't just don't just brand this person a sycophant and then just be have the character just be the absolute blandest. I'm gonna I'm gonna do all these things and kill you and walk away whistling a tune or whatever the hell he's doing. God damn it!
2: Yeah, and the plot itself was entirely about blamey being blamed for it as well which again it devalues because it could have been any crimes basically it didn't for that plot to happen it didn't have to be you know murdering women with a necktie and all that stuff it could have been there's been a series of robberies But Blamey just happens to be in the area, so they pinned it on him and he's got to run away sort of thing. It could have been anything else. And that core plot of that lead character would have been the same. And that's why I think there's that disconnect between the actual plot of the movie and the real horror and kind of reality, particularly that scene, um, as you say, where they actually show the murder and everything is really kind of feels horribly real and stuff, doesn't it? Um, But yeah, it's kind of. It could be he could be doing any other crime and blaming it on Blaney sort of thing and it the movie wouldn't have changed. And that's why I think it feels like a bit of a disconnect there.
0: I think, yeah. I think for me, like overall, like I like I came out of it being like, What a peculiar <laughs> film. Like throughout it, I was just thinking, What an odd film this is. Like what strange. Like, you know, I, I I think I was glad I watched it because it was not like many films I've seen before in terms of like that strange blend of like comedy almost and weird decisions and disturbing imagery i've broken craig somehow here <laughs> or i don't know i just
1: that's like the most nan thing i've feared about like <laughs>
0: what i've just been talking about as
1: a really horrific It's like what a peculiar film
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh well that <laughs> wasn't very nice was he? that wasn't a very nice man Oh, well, he's no, a but, bad man isn't he <laughs> no but outside of all of the horrific stuff because again i think that I think to be fair that Hitchcock is doing that for effect. I I, I can't really sort like cite the horrific acts as like a criticism or like a negative to me because I think that's what they're going for and I think it depends on how you deal with horror or like unsettling imagery and there's a lot of films out there which do that kind of stuff in which you're like, I never want to watch that again because it was, you know, such a traumatic experience. But it's in in a film that then has so many like, peculiarities and strange choices and so you know choices that are very much in things like you'd see in like murder mysteries and stuff like that the fact that he has this pin and they have like you know this very like specific look to him even just the fact that like he's like a ginger blonde sort of man I think is almost odd to me because again usually those characters are painted as like a certain look to them, whereas I see that kind of man, especially in that era, and think of like the Sweeney or something. And I think there's something almost not so comic not so much comical, but I think it almost is trying to say like this is somebody you would I don't know it. Yeah. It's it, he's like an every man in some ways, and that's what makes it quite unsettling. This is somebody you you could know, and I think that he has this very like specific look which you would. Man- imagine scene in a very sort of theatrical production and the film sort of like portrays itself in that way and that's why the potato truck scene is very like stands with you because it it is such a weird mix of kind of like oh you know he's into this oh no what's happened to you now how is he going to get out of this scrape and that was what was odd about the film it reminded me it was almost sketch like in the sense that you were going from character to character because the fact that we follow him in this scene I was kind of like or well, what's going on with the guy we've been following for this entire time? I found it interesting. I did quite enjoy the fact that that pace was, we had quite a sort of, a swift pace to the film. And I think with something that's two hours, especially within that era, and especially when we're talking about films from Hitchcock, like Topaz and stuff, there is very much the chance that it's going to be boring, especially when it is like a crime thriller film like this, in which you're not going to have a lot of action. There's not going to be any special effects or anything like that. So I was quite impressed by how, entertained and sort of like absorbed i was by the story i felt that even though the dialogue and everything was very hokey and there was a lot of like sort of like strange decisions plot holes wasn't the greatest of like writing at times i still was engaged with it the entire time i still felt that there was like quite a bit of like realistic realistics or dialogue that kept me sort of like engaged the characters were kind of still i felt that the the performers were doing enough to kind of keep it theatrical. They knew the type of film that they were in. I think Hitchcock was giving them a certain direction of, as we were saying before, to have that kind of like theatrical play-like aspect to it. That still made me kind of like enjoy the theatricality of it. So, yeah, I just kind of came kind of came out of it not knowing what to think. Finding the disturbing stuff, yes, very disturbing, and kind of stayed with me. Found the the sort of narrative structure of it very peculiar. But I I didn't so much find it kind of like, I didn't find it sort of took away, like, it wasn't so much negatives for the film, oftentimes with me. Like, for the lack of character, for me, I don't think is very much, to me, seem more of a Hitchcock trope. Like, I don't watch Psycho and kind of go think like, oh, what's this woman thinking? What's she going through? Because she just gets murdered eventually anyway. And it's kind of the same with, like, Norman Bates. I think, to me, I kind of almost aren't surprised when I see a Hitchcock film, which kind of goes here's the story here's the characters you don't need to know anything about their past because it's all about this moment he's very much like interested in what happens when this happens to a person what happens in this scenario rather than worrying anything about the inside or the outside and i think that's why he ends his film this way i wasn't a big fan of the end of this film i think i agree with you die i wanted a bit more confrontation or something that just le- felt a bit less tv like i felt almost it was like a tv drama like the book on the table and the credits start rolling dude, dude, yeah. dude, dude. <laughs> but i I think he kind of enjoys the aspect of like leaving it on the most dramatic moment i think that hitchcock feels almost that anything after that is kind of like non-important i think he likes like again like psycho you bring out the car and that's when it ends you know like just as you find out who the killer is you don't see any of the ramifications of that so that's kind of how i saw it but I, so I thought, thought it was a fascinating film. I thought technically there was a lot of like great stuff in there. I thought there was some disturbing imagery and moments in there which I thought worked for me. But yeah, I think the only like downsides I think were mainly obviously yeah it doesn't have a it doesn't have a great portrayal of women at all. Uh, the whole tongue sticking out thing I thought was just a very weird choice. I was like, why did you have to do that? I don't understand what he was going for in that sense. Um, not I didn't mind so much again, like the you know the nudity and that kind of stuff because it was done in a way that kind of like added to the horrific nature of it. The breaking the fingers thing was very like oh, you know that that did go through me, and the whole like where does this whole like meal thing with the wife come from? Why is that a part of it? but I kind of just saw it as a kind of like the book element of it. it felt almost like roll esque or something I felt like I was reading a kind of like a peculiar writer doing this weird story of being like oh what if the detective had a really crazy wife who's making weird meals which would be fun as its own story or like within another film but I think it's just weirdly placed alongside this murderer storyline but I, I don't know I'm kind of torn I don't know whether that kind of like adds to what we were saying earlier with the opening of like it makes you more unexpected of then the horrific stuff that does come up yeah i think i'm on a
3: similar wavelength to you dave because i actually quite enjoyed this film but appreciate it's one messy messy film um in just its script choices in every character is stupid in this film like everyone's making stupid decisions um and i would disagree with you craig and you die i don't i do think all these characters have character I just don't think Hitchcock is doing anything with these characters. And I feel as if this is almost like a prime example of adapting a book and I haven't read the book, but it feels like he was like, I'm making the book. We're just taking out all the character, maybe all the, all the monologues that they would have internal monologues in their head and stuff like that. That's where you would get the character and more spacing out the story. And Hitchcock was like, nah, chuck all that. Let's get to like the meat and potatoes of the story. Um, don't mention I... potatoes. <laughs> well, Yeah, the potato, there you go um so i i can see what he was trying to go for and i i really appreciate what he was doing because he's so experimental i think you've got to commend this guy that so late in his career he's doing all these weird experimentations with camera angles and uh and you know like this keeps pushing the one take you know technology forward and all of that um and to like mix up comedy with this dark story as well i think it's really interesting i don't think it works all the time but i think because of its messiness i kind of really appreciated it in a way so yeah that's where i sort of land with it i think it's still very problematic in its use of women and oddly enough i think what's more disturbing to me was how candid the language was about women more than the actual graphic you know sexual assaults i actually thought you know when they're in the pub and um, Somebody's—they're they, talking about a murder, and they said, "Oh, she was also sexually assaulted." And then one of the guys oh, so "There's a silver lining?" Then I was like, "Oh, wow! Like that's how is that a silver lining?" Like, so I found the language very problematic in this film, and I—it I, doesn't hold up today in that regard. But I think in terms of the other characters and like with the the serial killer, um, I feel as if that is what a serial killer would do. Like a lot of these serial killers the ones you learn about anyway um are very narcissistic um it's almost a bit of a game to them that they they almost want to be caught in a way like it is that sort of playing with the police and stuff you know even they mentioned jack the ripper he was one who always used to play with the police and so-called send them pieces of body parts and all that sort of stuff um so the cockiness the stupidity of him i buy in the character but I, i agree i think they could have done more with the other characters to just oomph up the film i think there's a really good film in here somewhere but it's just got lost somewhere when adapting like the script from the book i
0: think i I would have kept it to the four, like the two men the two women i don't think i think they should just take in the police officer out of it as much as i enjoy i know that's
3: that's i i think that's the best part of the film because because it's such a dark and dreary film and you're like oh these are i hate all these characters because i think they're intentionally all meant to be horrible, even the Blaney, like he's not a nice guy, which is why when He's being accused of the wrong man. You're kind of like, yeah, lock him up as well. <laughs>
0: I was like, he's probably done something. That's the thing. That's why it's hard to support him because he says, you know, I'm going to go kill him for what That's he's what done. That's what I like, mean. He's yeah. like, I'll make you do what you've like set me up to do. And I'm like, that doesn't make us want to then support you. Yeah, and you should then be like, set him free. You know, I'm like, you know, when you watch something like, I think, um, Changeling with An- Angelina Jolie, you know that she's like being locked up because by the police and it's a wrong thing to do. And you're like, they're like, get her out. You know, you're supporting this character with this you're like yeah maybe it's better the years in there you know
2: well yeah that's one of the core things i think that goes wrong i think it's it's that story of blaney that's so kind of rubbish that really just brings the whole thing down um and you say when he's arrested and sentenced it doesn't really feel like an injustice because actually all the evidence is is real like they've got all this evidence against him there's no other suspect and you're like yeah fair enough kind of the way that it goes and um but that kind of raises I really felt watching the movie that it, a thing that would have completely changed, but uh, would have been very realistic and actually relates to a book I've been reading recently, would be if um, Blaney wasn't a white man. Because this narrative of, you know, black men being stitched up for murders when they were just in the area is real. Mm. Um, so there's a guy in Cardiff um, called uh, Masood Hussein Matin. Um Let's check his name so I don't get his surname wrong. Um, yeah, Matan, but he was from, uh, Tiger Bay down in Cardiff. Um, and he was just in the vicinity when a, a, mer- a woman was murdered, but because he was Somali and didn't speak very much English and some other local bloke took, didn't really like him. And he'd married a, a Welsh woman as well, which a lot of people didn't like. So yeah, they arrested him. He couldn't speak English properly at the trial. Mm. They didn't get him an interpreter and he got hung. Wow, um, he's actually the first person to be posthumously um, exonerated. Wow, cool. So in the nineties, um, you know, an investigation was opened and they they exonerated him for the murder. But by then, he, it was too late; he'd been executed. Mm. But yeah, so that's one of the things I think that makes that Blaney character feel so kind of rubbish and shallow. Is that all this stuff that's happening to him? It's not really injustice. It's not that the. It's not that there's something wrong with society that's causing him to be blamed you know if it was someone like you know matan who was being blamed purely because he was black and in the area he was somalian and in the area but with blaney eh, you know it's just whatever like it's just it's just a series of coincidences it's not that everybody's prejudiced against him it's not that he's got some problem that's making it unjust the way he's being treated so therefore he's not an interesting character and the
3: thing is i also found you have people throughout the film Who are actually trying to help him, and he's just being
0: horrible to them. Yeah, like even
3: like in that when he's staying at that guy's apartment, you know, and the guy's like, "Oh, I'll help you," and he's like,
0: "Oh, but I would say maybe that's part of the point." But yeah, go on, Greg.
1: My big question is why is this something that Hitchcock necessarily wanted to make? Because from VHS Corner, it was said that the thing that attracted him about the book was about the about the actual protagonist, the ex-air force that was just down on his luck. But just apart from the circumstances in which it was in, it didn't really, didn't really seem to do anything for the actual basis of the story whatsoever, right? I, I
0: think it works within the idea of like when you're it, again. That's why I saw was thinking. Oh, is of it this in, David
1: Interpreter role coming back into things n-
0: now? N- no, like in terms of the murder mystery aspect I was talking about earlier, is that the the fact that throughout it then you are then seeing like oh, well, he has a history of, like, uh, he was violent to his wife, and that's why he did it. And he was like, oh, well, that was only done so we could get our divorce done quicker. So it's almost that they're they're doing all these things to kind of, like, explain away why that wouldn't be Hmm. questioned more trial, it would be be used against him, which I think somewhat works in a way. You're like, okay, you're setting up this, like, case for why he should good prisoner why the police would think this of him that he's very down on his luck he's had a lot of bad luck in that sense but i don't know i just don't feel that they do enough with it i just feel that maybe if the character was a bit more like i've changed i want to change or like i you know i am a bad person and now i've seen through the actions of this man that i should change my lifestyle more i feel if the two characters were closer together that, that if he lived with him or something like that if they were more closely connected you could have had that duality a bit more and you you it would be less hokey that he'd be like, oh, well, it just happens to be that I was, uh, you know, like there at the time. And I happened to sort of throw a few things around when I was speaking to my wife. It's all done in a very kind of like cause and effect kind of way, not this kind of natural complex relationships, which it wants it to be, I think.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, right? I think I think circumstances just just go from bit to bit. So I don't actually see it. Even though the film sort of goes by quickly, I just don't think anything actually Sort of flows really. That's why. That's why I just don't find it a. I just don't find it a gripping thriller. I find. I find, the moments of the actual crimes tense, but his actual story of uh, a wronged man. I just. I just don't actually see him. Go he's not any really
2: s- wronged, is he? Is no, he's not, a, he's not.
1: He's not. He just doesn't go through any struggles. So I don't. I just feel nothing for him.
0: Yeah. I think that's why I'm a bit more forgiving of it is that you do like for me I can always like at at least respect style Uh, you know a bit more because if you got you know directors which a lot of people won't vibe with as much i'm like well at least they got so bringing their personal aspect to it Or as we've discussed before i think in the previous episode a lot of times if you're bringing aspects to it which are very out there or very crazy that's not going to make it a perfect film because in order to have those kind of zany ideas then you are taking away all those kind of like it needs to have this typical hero journey all of that kind of stuff So I
1: get that. However, I do think there is a degree to which asking me to appreciate the experimental nature of a film (laughs) is somewhat hard when the it's like, well, you've got it you got to give me uh you got to give me credit as a surgeon i i wanted to go out there and be different with my surgery it's like what do you mean you've taken off both my legs uh, well, i'm not going to respect
0: that I, I wasn't asking for you to understand to be fair craig because what i what i was going to say is just that i think that that's where it leads to a, a a very mixed bag and a very problematic film is because this is an example of as you guys said the Hitchcock wanting to do this kind of thing and having this kind of story, but also then add his touch, which doesn't work in this case. It can work in other cases and other films, I think. And, you know, I can enjoy the kind of hokiness of him maybe wanting to bring that kind of like dial M for murder aspect of like the lady sprawled out in that kind of iconic look and similar to like B movies of the time, like, you know, having the lady in, in the arms of the villain and all that kind of stuff that it's not great portrayal of women. It's kind of like very... Tired kind of tropes, etc. But it's still a kind of part of Hollywood. It's this big emblematic thing. And he can do that if he wants. Like, I want to do this kind of like zany murder, like glorifying murder, having it like this big elaborate thing, you know, the hand draped over. But it just doesn't work as well here because you're dealing with a very sensitive issue. Like Craig and you guys have mentioned earlier, the candidness of how they deal with rape i think is a bit strange i don't like how so many characters throughout there just like well they rape at them and just like you rape your victims and they talk about it in such a like kind of casual way i'm like i know this was the 70s but this isn't a horrific thing to happen for people and i think that the actress does a good job in showing how horrific that is but i don't like the way that they treat it as just like this happens every day kind of thing i'm like this is horrible like what happens
1: this is why i'm an advocate for certain certain things shouldn't be attempted by certain people Mm. that's the crucial difference for me in this situation considering i also know the history of how bad hitchcock is with various actresses on the film the fact that he then i will
3: will say though because i did find out that he might have like changed his ways by the time he got to this because with that particular the first murder scene um the actress wasn't directly involved so all the nude bits and stuff it wasn't her they got a professional model
0: to do that and that's what mary brings up in your article she says there was a lot of change and you know some of the aspects of this film is him showing that and like the film making process shows that change Mm -hmm. almost within itself but yeah it's still still problematic yeah. and it's long very long, hard yeah.
1: to argue that the message of that fully comes across but yeah i
2: think like he's that. yeah, so i think he's trying with that thing of all the characters around being so blasé about it and they do say like oh bloody good serial killer is great for business mm. and stuff like that that's it i think that's intentional to build up that horrific idea yeah. that society is kind of or is you know letting these crimes happen but i think he just doesn't really manage it is the thing mm. i think he's trying to hit things and he's some cases he's not quite there in that there's there could be an idea in the movies that all that blasé stuff all the kind of humor stuff is kind of building this idea that society itself is permissive of male violence Mm. which nowadays we look back and we go yeah you know the, the way that we all kind of deal with um with misogyny and with, with, you know, gender and things, Um, it all builds up and then kind of, you know, enables people who are really violent and really horrible to do these awful, awful things. And so I got particularly at the beginning when there's the guys talking about it in the pub about like who anybody could be some weird Mm -hmm. sadist and you can see... Blaney just sat behind them, moving around, in the idea that, like, they're almost being permissive to this, the idea that this guy is going to be this, you know, sexually violent person. Uh, and that kind of is contributing to the crime. Um, that could be the idea he's going for. Um, and I think probably is. But again, I think it just doesn't quite come off, I think. Mm-hmm. Really, it's the real problem is that core story. The story is a guy gets accused of a crime he didn't do because of just weird coincidences, mm-hmm. and he has a kind of a knockabout runaway trying to, like, prove his innocence. Yeah. That's a completely different movie than really dramatically looking at sexual violence and murder. Like, they're not the same thing. One of them is a kind of a cartoon adventure story. The other one is a horrible, like, political really, about, you know, social politics and how we deal with gender and violence and stuff. And then it's placed it onto this plot about a knockabout. Oh, I've been accused of a crime. I didn't commit.
0: Blimey, I better run away from the coppers. And it's hard to put somebody in that situation when it's a Jack the Ripper, the necktie murderer. Like, it's not a one murder. It's not like you've been like, I, I'm going to throw you under the bus and make them think you did this. It's very hard to do that. Like, oh, you've been doing all of these. You know, they might have evidence of why he killed that one woman, the second woman. But what I love, again, <laughs> about the incompetency of the police of, like, you've been brought in because you have killed uh, Barbara, da da and da, da 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 and several others. <laughs> and yeah, like, well, yeah. what about <laughs> all the other women? The woman <laughs> in the Thames, what's the evidence for her? Like, you're just suggesting that you killed all of them. It's just, like... So, that, well, that to The me thing is, bizarre. you, you
3: have, like... Um... I probably know more about this than I should, but it's
0: because um, <laughs> my partner is studying criminology, so I get things. <laughs> oh, okay, <Like. clears throat> <laughs> so you're going to be like, I probably know more than this. But when you're transport, <laughs> when when you're transporting I mean, a body, a, uh, <laughs> uh,
3: no, but it's um, you also have to remember that fingerprints and all that sort of DNA stuff didn't come in until the late seventies, early eighties, really police, unfortunately, sometimes uh, want to just wrap up the case as quickly as possible and they will blame it on whoever's the easiest to blame and they will just lump all the other charges on them because, you know, now it's not so much the case. Well, in in some cases it is, unfortunately. But then it just would have been easier. Yep, you killed all these people because you're the necktie murderer and they all got killed yeah. by a necktie.
2: I say, yeah, that's the thing with, that did happen in the old days. You know, people were, were you know, picked up for crimes just because they didn't look the right way mm. um and that's a really sh- shocking challenging subject that the movie doesn't do yeah you know it's just oh, oh i don't know he's just there
0: yeah the last thing i would say as well is that i i do i think similar to you jake is i do appreciate a lot of the technical aspects i thought that the scene the second murder qu- worked very well just that slow zoom out of the house i thought that that worked very well I, I almost wanted it to go for even longer, actually. Um, And I thought that that's why it would have been better if they did something like the ending of it. Um, I like how it
3: begins, though, because in the first murder, um, like how they allude to the second murder is that line of you're my kind of woman. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really cleverly done by... Because in the book, they show that murder.
0: Mm, Right.
3: And I think it was tastefully done in this regard to not show the second murder, because we know we've seen the first one. We know what's going to happen. We don't need to see it again. So that piece of dialogue knows it. you know exactly what's about to happen and then you have that amazing one-take camera shot. I think it's really well done. That's why I think of that when you're coming out and then you see the building. It's you suddenly get all the sound of the bustling streets of London. Mm, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's in a way really haunting because you have life just carrying on as it is exactly. and behind closed doors this horrible act is happening.
0: And there's yeah. a house with like all like flowers in the windows that it looks quite quaint and everything. And I think that's what Hitchcock really captured to you well was the, the feel of London, that feeling of anything could be happening, behind closed doors, the fact that when that happened at the dating agency, wherever you want to call it, that he just walked out and it wasn't a kind of like somebody's seen him, he's done this, he just sort of like, casually walked away as what might happen in real life and even those women who went past, there was like a scream when that woman... Found her dead colleague, and they just carried on. I was just yep. like, um, "Excuse me, go upstairs and like look into that." But but I did appreciate that it was shot in London, and captured that idea. And I was pretty sure even some of the pubs. I was like, I feel like I've been to those pubs. Like they, you know, all those ones are so famous around, you know, Covent Garden, etc. So. A lot of great technical stuff here. The conversation they have through the fruit market, I'm not so sure about that. That was looked a lot like the man was tripping over himself as he was trying to back up, following themselves. by Tripped uh, over a couple of apples. Yeah. yeah, I appreciated the effort. I liked, as you guys were saying earlier, that there was a lot of people in the background busy doing their thing. There was a lot of good direct direction there, I thought, from Hitchcock. So, we now go to our usual segment, which is to decide, does Frenzy from 1972 deserve to be remembered for all time and gain the honor of a place in our movie vault? I think I know what Craig's answer is.
1: Oh, you actually still want me to say it?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right, then. I thought you were going to be, like, angry, although you were going to be like, no. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> no.
2: Die. what do you think? Nah, I think it's, you know, not really that worth talking about, to be honest. It's sort of, it's it's intentional. I think a lot of the details in it, I think it's really well crafted. I think it's just the kind of overall actual, as I say, the plotting of it just wears it down and ends up being a little bit mediocre, to be honest. Jake? I would like to say yes,
3: but ultimately I'm going to go with no. There's just just a few things that, doesn't quite reach the mark for me. As much as I did enjoy it in a lot in a lot of uh, ways, no, not one. I think people should be. Oh, you have to watch this film. I think if you've watched like fifty, uh, sorry, like forty of Hitchcock's films, and you're like, what's the next one? Oh yeah, watch that one then.
2: Yeah, I don't think it even says that much about the subject either. It's going for. It's not no. a masterpiece of a thriller because the the plot <laughs> is not thrilling. You yeah. know exactly what's going <laughs> on all the time. And as a sort of a horror, you know, it doesn't really hit any of the marks fully. It doesn't really quite achieve any of the different things it's trying to get. So you might as well just watch any number of different movies. Yeah,
1: Honestly, if you you want to watch an interesting version of this film, just watch Psycho.
0: But even if you want to kind of see strange examples of like mishmashes of genres, I would say, oh, well, go watch this. See how sometimes it doesn't work. How like director's style can maybe get in the way of certain films weird blends of comedy and, you know, thrillers, horror. You know, go watch this by all means. And I think I agree with, you know, Mary, I think it is worth remembering, worth looking at, but I'm not sure it would be worth of like, you know, honor of a movie vault. I don't want to say the same argument for what I said with Dr. Jacqueline's sister Hyde of being like, well, Mary, by her own admission, has said that Psycho and other films, you know, would be in the top ten and this might not be one of the best Hitchcock films. I think she is right in the sense that, you know, this is important to look at, especially from the perspective of Hitchcock and like the the behind the scenes stuff and what it represents for him and maybe the time and how we've progressed since then, getting a the great view of London. But not everyone's going to have that context when watching the film. And I think when it stands alone on its own, it doesn't present that stuff within the film. And I think there's probably better examples in the 70s and better films within Hitchcock's filmography which aren't just your classic ones like rear window and psycho etc which would be more niche underappreciated films that people don't quite look at look at enough which i would choose over this one
1: i also just think if those are the reasons why you're looking to watch films that is also not the burden of what the movie vault is for in the first place we are not we are not a deep psychological analytical sort of hive mind of films that you should look at like the entire history of how everything is brought and the ways in which it's trying to show like a director necessarily changing i think the art as well as that has to stand up on its own at this point i i just think there's too many cons get rid of it
0: so yeah unfortunately uh, another film that doesn't go into our movie vault this week so frenzy from 1972 does not get a place Sorry, Mary, but uh, yeah, we definitely uh, enjoyed deep diving into this film. I think the discussion showed that there was loads to discuss here, and uh, as we said, please keep bringing those kind of like more challenging, different kind of films because there's lots to dig into with them.
1: Maybe one that doesn't make me feel sick. We're in the end game now. Oh, it's
2: so annoying.
1: Okay, end game time. So as you can tell, I very much wanted to get away from, you know, dark, gritty, gritty, gritty stuff. Uh, so I, I, I tried to go for the, the purest thing I could and then decided that trying to get you to guess preschool films might lead to a game which was just going to result in zero points. So what I did is I've just gone for a standard badly explained movie plots game. So this is another area where I derive a lot of joy, where basically people in a humorous way describe the plot of a movie in a way that makes it sound completely disingenuous. So for example, I wrote a badly explained movie plot for the film that we've just been discussing, Frenzy, which is if you wanted a bad way of describing the film Frenzy, you would say the plot of the film is man insists that woman wears a proper necktie. That is indeed a bad way of explaining this film. Basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give, I'm going to, uh, go through one by one I'm going to give you a badly explained movie plot and I want you to tell me what the original movie is. In the event that it's a franchise, I will accept the franchise except for one case, which I think uh, you will understand when you hear it. But just to let you know what we're playing for, as usual, you'll be playing for the opportunity to choose the film that we discuss next week. So you have an option of either one of uh, a film of mine, the film of David's, or a film of your own choosing. Something that's in some way related to themes that we've been discussing in this episode, just so we keep the train going. So, to give them an idea of what we're playing for, David, give us a little information about your film.
0: Okay, so my film is from 1975, so not too far off the uh, time that this uh, film, Frenzy, came out. And this is going with the sort of genres of the crime. Uh, film, but obviously, with what we discussed today, there were a lot of comedic elements in there. And as Craig rightfully pointed out, we need to sort of like lighten the tone a bit. So I'm going for an all out comedy. I think the 70s were a great time for comedies. So this is, you know, combining those sort of like the comedy genre along with the sort of like solving a crime aspect it's a part of a bigger franchise it's one that i am a big fan of i had a lot of great times watching these films when i was younger but we've never had a chance to look into it um it's one of the sort of sequel films and it's also a franchise that has one of the best soundtracks or themes just of all time so i think it would appeal to you guys because i think obviously jake you've sort of dived into a lot of uh British comedy of late. Die is obviously going to be appreciated in a lot of comedy. And yeah, I think that it'd be a fun film to look back at, uh, not as a perfect depiction, again, of certain types of characters, but uh, certainly a franchise that has a big name for itself and uh, lots of fun moments.
1: Okay, and in contrast, I've gone from a film for 2000. My big issue with the last couple of weeks is that And also generally in in terms of the chain of films that we've been having so far is there's not been very strong female representation. So what I did to find this film is I googled, uh, uh, I went on a list that was the top 100 feminist films of all time. And I chose my entry from there because I want to feel good about myself for a damn change. So very much I've got this film, which here is how it relinks. Instead of the awful, awful depictions of awful things happening to women, we now have probably one of the most recognisable strong female leads in films of a based-on-a-true-story sort of nature. Um, and also, in comparison to the completely inept police service that we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks, being able to do a lot of good within the legal system themselves. So those are the ties that are my film. died. Any reason why you're laughing?
2: It's legally blonde.
1: I mean, it, it could be. The only, way you'll find, <laughs> the only way you'll find out is if you win the end game and choose my film. But like I said, you don't have to choose our films. You can also choose a film of your own. Um, so, yeah. Are we ready for the game?
2: Yeah. yeah. As ready as we ever are for your games, Craig.
1: Okay, so we'll start with an easy one, which is... Kid comes out of the closet. So what film has the badly explained film plot of Kid Comes Out of the Closet? Okay, both ready? Yeah. Yeah. Alright, Di, what's your answer?
3: The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Jake? That was the same one. Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch
0: and Wardrobe.
1: Of course, yeah. it's an absolute classic.
0: You have I thought a wardrobe... it was Harry Potter. Under the stairs. It's not a wardrobe. It's <laughs> <That's> a cupboard. <laughs> well, it's a closet, so it's already not a wardrobe. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's actually, Harry Potter's probably more like a closet. <laughs> yeah.
1: What an incredibly boring, badly explained film plot for Harry Potter if it's just kid comes out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Woman spends years deciding whether to shag a dog or a corpse. Oh, they actually look stumped by this one. Do you have any idea what this is, David?
0: No, I'm trying to think myself.
1: You're going to kick yourself when I say it.
0: I'm wondering if it's animated or something. I, I've, I've got an option. I don't know if it's right.
1: Okay, Jake, what's your answer?
2: Frankenstein?
1: We've got for Frankenstein. Die? I went...
2: I, I, it's Beauty and the Beast. She's and a beast? A, it's not making a decision about a corpse, though.
1: Is it Frankenstein? Is it Beauty and the Beast? The is Twilight.
0: Oh. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: So instead of corpse as a vampire, but technically, you know, living dead, right? Next film. Talking Frog convinces boy to kill his dad.
2: I don't know. But I desperately want to see these movies every time you say them
0: definitely a kick yourself one if you don't
2: (laughs) oh okay yeah (laughs) Mm. i got it Mm -hmm.
1: okay so die what is it
2: empire strikes back
1: jake oh i know
2: princess and the frog i've heard
1: (laughs) (laughs) is it princess and the frog no is it empire strikes back It is indeed Yoda training loop to defeat Darth Vader.
0: If that happened to Princess and the Frog, wow. <laughs> Just like, the prince gets changed to the frog. It's like, kill your dad. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, if you like that, you're going to love the next couple. So number four. Paranoid billionaire afraid of immigrant.
2: Oh no! I realize I spelt mine wrong.
1: No idea, I mean, this one. does that matter? Given that I cannot see what you've. No, read? but it's just
2: a really, really stupid misspelling.
1: Okay. Oh wait, no, I've got it. Okay, so Jake. You probably what is got it, it right then, because. Right, we'll go uh, for Age Jake. Of, uh,
2: Avengers: Age of Ultron.
1: Avengers: Age of Ultron, die.
2: I just said Iron Man's, but I spelled it with t- like three Ms. Okay, fascism. so it's
1: interesting. You've both gone for the same billionaire, and you are both. Who's the oh. other comic book billionaire? Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Who does he fight in one film? A certain versus film.
0: Uh, Superman. Oh. Batman v Superman. Batman
1: v Superman, Dawn uh. of Justice. Um, yeah. You see, I in initially Alien.
2: thought Home Alone because know, he's like a really wealthy child who's yeah. afraid of people invading his space.
0: Yeah, but then I thought, are they immigrants? The web bandits. Also, <laughs> I
2: wouldn't really call him paranoid
1: given the fact that I think he had legitimate reason to believe these people were going to break into his house.
2: Yeah, I suppose, but they had legitimate reasons for doing so Because they okay. didn't like that little boy
1: Number, f- I mean, speaking of little boy Number five A young boy discovers that having hard wood in your hand Can lead to all sorts of magic
3: Oh Oh, actually, that's, that could Could it, Jake? Mm-hmm <laughs> Alright, die Harry Potter Harry Potter
1: Yeah, of course, it's Harry Potter. Number six. Billions of dollars in subsidies for a potato farmer.
3: Frenzy? (laughs) Say that again.
1: Billions of dollars in subsidies for a potato farmer. Any idea, David?
0: I'm trying to think whether there's some sort of clever, like, pun here or not. (laughs) It's the dollars that has also made me think, hmm...
1: Why is it the dollars that stopped well, you? Well,
0: in terms of, like, if, Craig, uh, if Jake had a point, but then I'm like, what's dollars? I'm just thinking of any, like, is there
2: some bad joke about Irish characters? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. More like chips or something.
1: Oh. I mean, again, David, you're really going to hate yourself when the answer comes up. Right, I'm actually going to go for a timeout in a minute. So. Yeah, I, I
3: have no idea. Right,
1: right, five, four... Three, two, one. Titanic. Titanic. Jake, nothing.
0: Frenzy, I suppose.
3: Frenzy, (laughs) yeah. No.
1: Is it Titanic? Is it Frenzy? It's the Martian.
3: Oh. Oh, Bugger.
1: (laughs) Okay. Number seven. Public transport running ahead of schedule for once. Die.
2: I feel, immediately feel like I'm wrong. Sliding doors.
1: Okay. Jake? Bullet train. David?
0: Speed. David
1: hey. is right. <laughs> I've never even heard of sliding
0: doors.
2: <laughs> it's it, it's one of these things like alternate realities. In one version, the train is early and the other version, the train is on time and it changes these people's lives. Uh, so oh, I was okay. like, ah, a train moves at different times. And I thought, Craig's never going to make this. I almost thought
0: cars. taxi driver, but I was like, was he ahead of time? I don't know. Was that also public transport? <laughs> no, mm, Taxi, no. <laughs> uh, no. No, it's
2: not.
1: Yeah, like it's it. very much a private hire vehicle. Yeah. Okay. Let's
2: talk more eight. about the difference between private <laughs> hire and public transport.
1: <laughs> okay, number eight. And I promise this is the most obscure one. Ready? Guy loses most precious belonging, travels to the criminal underworld to get it back. I'll give you a hint. From my previous exploration into the endgame where I wanted preschool films, I got this one.
3: Could you say it again, please?
1: Guy loses most precious belonging, travels to the criminal underworld to get it back.
0: <laughs> I think, I don't know, I have a... No, but then that preschool thing is thrown me. I might know.
1: Okay. Jake, do you have an answer?
0: The Lord of the Rings? The That's why I Rings thought first. Die?
2: I mean, not a movie. Orpheus and Eurydice. He goes into the underworld. Or Theseus does that as well.
3: Okay.
1: So I'm going to say that both of those are...
2: What do you mean it's... Orpheus and Eurydice is wrong? How can that be? Because it's not Elmo Adventures in Grouchland. Yeah, I thought, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a retelling.
1: Okay. Number nine. Cancer survivor never loses sense of humour.
2: It's easy.
3: Well, I think it is.
1: <laughs> for those at home, the moment Jake said that, Di just gave a sort of confused <laughs> look over as in like, wait, really?
3: Mm.
2: Well, I have no idea. You go for it. I think.
1: Okay. Should I go okay, for it? Okay, so, uh, Di, do you have any any answers at all?
2: Uh, no, I haven't even read Titanic. Titanic. <laughs> okay. And Jake? Dead uh, Deadpool?
1: Deadpool. So at this stage of the game, the scores are now even with three points. (gasps) Gasp. And with four questions left to go, it could be anyone's game. Number 10. A wisecracking boiler technician teaches high school teens to always believe in their dreams.
3: Wisecracking what, sorry?
1: Boiler technician.
3: And he teaches...
1: Uh, high school teens to always believe in their dreams.
3: What do, what subject does he teach?
2: Dreams.
1: Well, he's a boiler technician. I don't really
3: think <laughs> that. <laughs> See, I, I thought I had a film but it can't be because of the boiler
2: technician bit. Dead Poet Society.
1: Dead Poet Society die.
2: High School Musical three, because I've not seen it. Might have a boiler technician in it.
1: Okay, is it Dead Poet Society? <coughs> high School Musical three. <coughs> David, do you know what it is?
0: Breakfast Club.
1: It's Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. oh. Freddy Krueger, the right, dream killer. Right,
0: dreams. Right, yeah.
3: <laughs> I kind of wished it was High School Musical
0: 3.
1: <laughs> I, I wish it was High School Musical 3 with Freddy Krueger still in it.
0: Yeah. I kinda, <laughs> yeah! I just kind of want Zac Efron to be there, like... I just don't know if this graduation, if if I could do it after that. And then just a boiler man just there like, you can do it.
2: (laughs) You don't see him for the rest of the film. The boiler technician tries to join in the songs, but he's like a middle-aged dude. He's not got the training. He can't do it.
1: Number 11. Illegal immigrant chased by the feds. Yes, another one where both the guests seem deep in thought.
3: Illegal immigrant. Yeah. chased by the feds.
1: Yeah, I'll give a small hint for this one. Think of what another word for an illegal immigrant might be.
2: Oh, that might make my answer wrong. I'm sticking with my answer. I don't I care. Might,
1: I might
0: know one it is. Okay.
3: Now I'm stamped to this one.
1: Okay. So does that mean Jake you're giving no answer?
3: Yeah, pass on that one.
1: Die.
0: E. T. Uh, yeah. it is i was actually gonna say paul <laughs>
3: <laughs> see i was think i was thinking aliens but i was like yeah but we've already used like superman and aliens so i was like oh
1: yeah but no in this case the illegal immigrant being an alien actually just makes the film plot correct yep it's et the extraterrestrial number 12 and this is my second favorite one of the round Small Town Doctor Brings Three People Closer Together.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh no.
1: <laughs> I think Di's probably got it, if that's the case. Any idea, Jake?
3: No, I'm stumped I'm st- I'm on this one
1: as well. Okay, so is that going to be another no answer? Yeah. I don't know, I'm terrible at this. No, you're doing fine. <coughs> Die.
2: I wish I wasn't doing well at this. Is it Human Centipede?
1: David?
0: Yeah, that's what oh. I thought. <laughs> yeah, this is the same
2: we
1: can get that.
0: Uh, only
1: sicko's think of that. <laughs>
3: I'm, I'm glad I didn't think of that
1: it's actually. Yeah. So number 13, and this is the final question, uh this is the final plot. A dad has to pick up his daughter. Or oh, sorry, a dad has to go and pick up his daughter.
2: Oh, he has to go somewhere, and that changes everything. <laughs>
1: It does actually change the context, right? Because if he has to pick up his daughter, it could just mean lift. Go and pick up. I think,
3: I don't know, but I could be wrong.
1: I've got an
2: idea. No, I can't remember the name of it. No, I remember it. Okay. That was a whole journey there.
1: All right, we'll start with die.
2: Is it Interstellar?
1: Interstellar. Jake? Is it Taken? So, is it Interstellar? Is it Taken?
0: Yep. Hey. Uh So many like girl kidnapped films, but that's what like, I was, what I was thinking. Yeah, one, yeah. You know? yeah,
1: the the alternative uh, badly explained movie plot for Taken that I saw was just she's gone, bro. <laughs> but I thought I can't give you that because that might leave you to like Gone Girl, yeah, and that could just really confuse. Which, in fairness, it would technically be a correct plot, but just not the one
0: that could just be anything. Really, Oh, <laughs> yeah. <just> like,
1: <laughs> okay, so the final it's just, story just my, my love scene. life. Yeah. <laughs> So the, the, the final scores of that, Jake has four, but Dai is the winner with five. Yay. Yay. Okay, so like I said, Dai, you now get the choice of what we discuss next week. So you either get my film, David's film, or your own film. What would you like to go for?
2: Let's go with Craig's.
1: You're going to go with mine? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this is the second time that my film has been chosen over David's. So, like I said, I very much wanted uh, to find a film that was very empowering for women. Uh, and I definitely had that with this film. It's definitely a film that basically propelled it, its lead actress of Julia Roberts very much into the limelight, as well as basically taking on this uh, legal action, which is ninety percent, uh, 98% accurate, according to its Wikipedia page. But we were going to be watching
0: Erin Brockovich.
2: Oh, right. <laughs> Disappointed it's not legally blonde. I, I thought it
0: was like miscongeniality Congeniality or something. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, Di has chosen to go with Craig's option. And Craig has chosen Erin Brokovich from 2000. And yeah, going down the legal fun route and a great uh, feminist icon as Craig picked out of a great films for feminists list Uh, so yeah check out our next episode we'll be talking about that if you want to join in with the conversation and uh, watch Erin Brockovich along with us then you can catch it over on Now TV if you're subscribed to them Uh, you can also catch it on Sky Virgin Media you can rent it on uh, services like Apple TV Chili or of course you've also got physical media out there as well so yeah go check out Erin Brockovich so you can join in the conversation with us that should be a fun one. And like Craig said, I think definitely we did need a change from the misogynistic uh, theme that we've had recently. And Dai, your, your reign has come to an end of like problematic films, I think. In this one, you've kind of come to terms with the whole... You know, don't lock women in cupboards. Don't lick women's hands. And now like there's this, like don't strangle women. Hopefully that's over now. No. <laughs> this, this was the peak of it, I think, where you've said no, no more. I'm
2: done with people mistreating anybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm only going to watch jolly happy movies from now on.
1: Can I recommend Elmo Adventures in Grouchland? <laughs> Which was like, I genuinely considered that film for a bit, but I thought that might be a bit <laughs> too far
0: yeah that that, Hitchcock to Elmo and Grouchland would be quite a choice so yeah go check out uh, Erin Brockovich ready for next time thank you guys for joining us in our discussion of Frenzy it's certainly been a deep dive into that film and uh, very refreshing and different especially for yourself Jake in terms of the type of film uh, we were discussing hopefully we can have you back on soon discussing some more kind of cool movies from all different sides of uh, the film verse but uh What have you been up to recently? What do you want to plug and where can the people find you?
3: Well, I've got my two podcasts going at the minute. Capes, Cows and Masks, where we talk all about superheroes and stuff. We've been a bit quiet recently, but we will be coming back very soon. Uh, And then if you're a Star Wars fan, check out our podcast, Dave, that we do with Niall. The Monday Lorians, where we talk about whatever Star Wars project is out at the minute. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. So check that out and you can uh, find it on all. Major platforms
0: for podcasts. Yes, and as suggested in the name, out every Monday. <laughs> so, uh, die anything lastly you want to talk about or mention?
2: Is so. Frenzy was that's the movie of the sitcom Friends. What? <laughs> it's what happens
1: when um, Friends did a World War Z pra- uh, parody.
2: Wasn't it the episode where they all went to London? Oh. And then frenzy is the results. <laughs> right, possibly. <laughs>
1: yeah, when Ross said we were on a break, what he actually meant was he was going to break Rachel's fingers after he told her.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I do see them, like, going on an open-top bus with some scarves doing that. Maybe that's what... <laughs>
2: yeah. Something like that.
1: That's why we never see the, uh, the English Emily anymore. Okay. <laughs>
2: But no, you. I don't have very much of an online presence, but you can come and visit the Museum of Cardiff, which is open seven days a week now in the middle of the city. It's all social history of Cardiff. It's very, very good. And you can have a lovely time and probably potentially see me wearing a tie, threateningly. <laughs>
0: and check out some history. I know, uh, again, that's another good link where we have... Jake could definitely be, you know, happy to talk history with you, Dai. So if, uh, I'm sure he'll be along soon, along with many of our other guests who've also uh discuss history with you as well so we keep having that uh, similarity up here which is always fun as well when we we're talking about last time was it the dig <laughs> yeah thank you guys for joining us thank you for joining us talking about frenzy uh craig anything lastly from yourself
1: sorry um people were sell- sending me pictures of elmo so i just got distracted Bye, everyone.
0: Yep, so uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you all for listening, and uh, please do support us wherever you can. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Ta-ta. Fly, you (laughs) (laughs) fools. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at WellGoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website freshtakehub.com slash WellGoodMovies where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.